Welcome, everybody. It's going to be different being up here on stage again. I haven't done this for a while, so we'll see how long that lasts. But uh, welcome, everybody, to, to our Christmas celebration. I know it's not Christmas Day or even Christmas Eve, but what this is, this is officially the fourth week of Epiphany. Does anybody ever celebrate Epiphany? Yeah, that's why I thought about one or two, one or two. Um, it's actually the fourth week of Advent, and that blends into Epiphany. I'll talk about Epiphany. How about Advent? Anybody? Advent? Okay. Anybody have the little calendars, right? The little thing that you pull out, and it has a little treat, a little candy in it. How many know the significance of it and how it started? Probably not many people do, right? We're going to talk about that a little bit, but first of all, um, Advent is probably the one that most people are familiar with and aware of. And Advent is a Latin word, and literally it just means coming. Advent just means coming. And like everything else Latin, I think the whole purpose behind it is to make it confusing to everyone. So they change those words to Latin so, like, nobody will know what this is, right, just to make it mysterious. But it just means coming. And if we talk about when it came to, there's nothing in the Bible that's going to talk about Advent, okay? You don't see that in the Bible. It's a celebration of things that we see, and it really started back in about 380 A.D. or so. About the year 380 is when this whole idea of Advent started, and it blended together a couple traditions, um, primarily Catholic traditions, but the Feast of the Epiphany, right? The Feast of the Epiphany is meant to be it's a, it's a preparation of, of your heart for the coming Messiah. But what it really is, is it's always celebrated 12 days after Christmas. Okay, It's always on the 6th of January. And what it is, it's meant to coincide with when the wise men visited Jesus. Okay, or The Magi or the Three Kings or whatever tradition you're used to calling them. It's when they visited Jesus. And so what they've done is that they've taken these traditions of, of Epiphany and Advent, and they've kind of melded them together into mostly what us Protestants now celebrate as Advent. But it's important. We talk about a, a, the Feast of the Epiphany being a celebration of when the wise men visited Jesus. Now, we've all seen the nativity scene you know, and most nativity scenes, uh, including ours, have Jesus in the manger and have the wise men all around. And it didn't really happen like that. Okay, these were two separate events that happened. And the reason that it's important that we understand the epiphany part of it, meaning when the wise men were introduced to Jesus, for us, that's important because that's also symbolic of when Jesus was revealed to the Gentiles. Because Jesus came to not just save the chosen people, the Jewish people, but also came to bring salvation to us, the Gentiles. And that's great news. I don't know about you, but I think that's good news that it happened that way. So, again, over time, these traditions have kind of blended together into what is traditionally a four-week celebration of the advent or the coming of Christ. And they break that out into, into several weeks, and traditionally, again, they celebrate different aspects, different things to be thankful for, if you will, as we approach the birth of Christ, which, as we know, happens on Christmas morning, right? So in week one, which happened a few weeks ago, we actually celebrate the hope that we have had 
always, from the beginning of time, this hope that we have had that there will be a Savior. And that's a time of, that's something to be celebrating. That's a time to be thankful. But again, it's mostly hope. And it goes all the way back, this idea goes all the way back to the Garden of Eden. When we see in Genesis, and most of us know what happened with Adam and Eve in the Garden in Genesis, right? Adam and Eve did the one thing they were told not to do, ate from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, right? And that allowed then the devil to come in in the form symbolically here of a snake. And we see in Genesis 3.15 where God actually addresses the devil, addresses this devil in, in the garden, and he says this, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise you on the head, and you shall bruise him on the heel. Now, it would be very easy just to read that and go, okay, this is God addressing the snake and saying, okay, there's always going to be a problem, and just kind of go on. This is the very first promise we see of a coming Messiah, that he that he's talking about, he shall bruise you on the head. That's the very first promise of a coming Savior. Then, Fast forward a little bit, we see Moses. Moses comforting his people. This is in Deuteronomy 18.15. We have this one on the screen, I think. The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you, from your countrymen. You shall listen to him. This is another promise of a coming Savior, a coming Messiah. And then fast forward again to the prophet Isaiah. Again on screen, Isaiah 7, uh, chapter 7, verse 14. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, a virgin will be with child and bear a son, and she will call his name Emmanuel. I love, I love, I, if you haven't read or studied Isaiah, spend some time there. It is amazing. I was going to do that next year. Gabe and I were talking as our series for next year, but Isaiah is 50 plus, we'd be in the Isaiah for the entire year. And I don't know how many of us are up for that sort of a commitment. But I, I encourage you to read it, to study it. We're going to do Bible studies on Isaiah. It's going to be a blast. But then going forward again, the last, the very last of the Old Testament prophets is Malachi. The very last in line of the Old Testament prophets. Malachi gave the nations this final promise. This is Malachi 3.1. Behold, I am going to send my messenger, and he will clear the way before me. And the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple, and the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight, behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. Again, all through the Old Testament, promise of a coming Savior, promise of a coming Messiah. That's week one. Week two as we prepare for Advent, is when we traditionally prepare our hearts to receive the gift, to receive the gift that is the coming Messiah. And again, going back to the Old Testament, Job. This is interesting. In the middle of a series of trials, okay, we know Job. Many of us know Job and the stuff. He's just known for going through stuff, right? In the midst of all that, Job's friend encouraged him to prepare his heart. Not just hold on, not just bear with it as much as you can, but actually to prepare his heart. Job chapter 11, verses 13 through 19. I'll just read this one to you. 
says, if only you would prepare your heart and lift up your hands to him in prayer. Get rid of your sins and leave all iniquity behind you. Then your face will brighten with innocence. You will be strong and free of fear. You will forget your misery. It will be like water flowing away. Your life will be brighter than the noonday. Even darkness will be as bright as morning. Having hope will give you courage. You will be protected and will rest in safety. You will lie down unafraid, and many will look to you for help. Wow, how many of us have missed that when we hear the story of Job? That all he has to do is prepare his heart and lift his hands up in prayer, and all these things, his life will dramatically change. That still holds true today, and I love that scripture. Now, go again to week three. Week three is the time when we, pre- when we fill those prepared hearts with joy. We fill those with joy. And just a quick scripture on that, Matthew 2, 10 and 11, says, When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. Rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. That's not like, oh, they were happy. There's the star. Think about that. They rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. After coming into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell to the ground and worshiped him. Then opening their treasures, they presented to him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Exceedingly with great joy. I can't remember the last time I rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. But this is what we are told when they are confronted, when they see the Savior, they finally realize we have seen him. He's been revealed to us. We are here That's the overflow in their hearts. So then today, on what is technically the fourth Sunday of the celebration of Advent, we celebrate this incomprehensible love of a father who would sacrifice anything and everything to save you. And the scripture for that is commonly known, John 3.16. I'm going to read verse 17 as well. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send the Son into the world to judge the world, but that the world might be saved through him. That is a loving Father. So in three days, we'll wake up on the morning, Christmas morning, and we'll celebrate the first advent or first coming of Christ, our Savior, in the flesh. John 1.14 says, The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. This is what we get to celebrate Christmas morning. Now, usually, immediately following Christmas morning, what's it look like? Picture your living room that afternoon. The aftermath, if you will, right? Especially if you have kids, you know what the aftermath of Christmas looks like. Some of us, the aftermath is credit card bills. Some of us, the aftermath is, well, I have to take down the tree and take down the lights and get the ladder back out of the garage, and I have to do all these things. Maybe it's a high five with, with whoever's around you. High five, that like, we got another one in the books. We survived another Christmas. But I want to tell you, There's more to look forward to. There's so much more. If you are a follower of Christ and have asked him into your heart, 
there's so much more to look forward to than just the aftermath and the cleanup. There is what we call the second advent of Christ, the second coming of Christ. Now, we know those of you who go here regularly know that we just finished a series on Revelation, and Revelation is all about this second advent of Christ. And I'm going to read to you a couple scriptures, or three or four from this, that really help us get our minds around what's happening here. Revelation 22:12, Jesus himself says, Behold, I am coming quickly, and my reward is with me, to render to every man according to what he has done. That's a promise. That's a prophetic promise given to John about what's about to happen. And I want to tell you that no matter how great the gifts that are under the tree, that thing that's on your list, like, oh, I hope this year I get. Anybody see the commercial this morning where, where the woman goes, oh, I, I got something for Christmas in the little box that she sets on the counter. And he goes, I got something too. And it's two cars. <laughs> Anybody else see that commercial this morning? Who does that? But I want to tell you, even if that's what your Christmas looks like, even if you're going, yeah, that's what I did. Even if that's, if that's you, I want to talk to you after service. <clears throat> we got some projects coming up. I'd love to talk to you about that. But I want to tell you this in all seriousness, that even if that's what your Christmas morning looks like, we have so much more than that to look forward to. The ultimate gift, the greatest gift are laid out right here. Again, in Revelation, three, three scriptures from this. Revelation 2.7, to him who overcomes, I will grant to eat of the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. That's a promise. To he who overcomes. We overcome by faith in Jesus, not through anything that we figure out or anything that we can do. Faith in Jesus Christ makes you an overcomer. And to he who overcomes. Remember the last time we saw the tree of life? In the Garden of Eden. There was the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and there was also the tree of life. So Jesus is promising, you overcome, you hang on, you have faith in me, and you will be back there. You will be back in paradise, in communion with the Father, which is what he's always wanted. And then Revelation 3, 5 Another promise, he who overcomes will thus be clothed in white garments, and I will not erase his name from the book of life, and I will confess his name before my father and before his angels. Think about that. As an overcomer, there will be a time when Jesus Christ is standing before Father God in heaven speaking your name. Think about that. Did you ever think of that? It's not just you'll be there and you're like, oh, maybe someday I'll travel into the New Jerusalem and I'll, and I'll see the Father. He will know your name because Jesus will speak your name before the Father. And then Revelation 3.21, He who overcomes, I will grant him to sit down with me on my throne as I also overcame and sat down with my Father on his throne. You will literally get to sit on the throne of Christ in heaven. There is no earthly gift that can compare to what that will be. And in fact, the Apostle Paul kind of summed it all up. Summed up this whole thing, just a short snippet here. 2 Corinthians 9.15 
Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. That deserves an amen, church. Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. So, so when we say Merry Christmas to each other, sometimes, again, it's just Merry Christmas, Merry Christmas, especially in a couple days, everywhere you go, out in front of the mall, out in front of the stores, we're going to be saying Merry Christmas. Let's say it with exceedingly great joy about this indescribable gift. I want you to picture, picture it. if you don't have kids, picture the last YouTube video you saw about Christmas morning. If you do have kids, think about when they got the best present you'd ever gotten them. That one that you got that just hit the nail on the head, it was exactly what they wanted. Remember how they freaked out and how excited they were? Like beside them, like, I can't even believe I got this. Guys, we can't even approach that kind of joy as adults because we've been beaten down so much. We've also been told, you, you express that sort of joy and people are going to think there's a problem with you. <laughs> but we are told to be thankful with exceeding joy, exceedingly great joy. Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. And church, that should be our overflow when we say Merry Christmas to one another. Amen? Amen. Worship team, you guys can go ahead and come on back up. Now we see in the Old Testament all those promises, all the prophets talking about a coming Messiah. And the reason that there had to be all those promises of a coming Messiah was because the world was spiritually dark. Not literal darkness, spiritual darkness. Spiritual darkness covered the face of the earth. But Jesus is the light. The prophet Isaiah, again, going back, chapter 9, verse 2. The people who, will walk, the people who walk in darkness will see a great light. Those who live in a dark land, the light will shine on them. This is a promise to those people who were living in those spiritually dark times. And then the prophet John again, a little bit later, chapter 12, verse 46, Jesus says, I have come as light into the world so that everyone who believes in me will not remain in darkness. So before Jesus, there was only darkness. And then, Again, John chapter 8, verse 12 says, Then Jesus spoke to them again, saying, I am the light of the world. He who follows me will not walk in the darkness, but will have the light of life. Oh, holy night, the stars are brightly Dear Savior's birth Long lay the world In sin and error pine Till he appears And the soul felt its worth And a thrill Joy, 
celebration of our coming Messiah, we are going to celebrate communion together. Communion is something that is, there are several places in the Bible that explain how it's to work. The details are not as important as the heart behind it. The heart that I think that the, the three wise men exhibited when they were confronted for the first time with the Savior, the baby Jesus, the Messiah in the flesh, where it says they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. This is the heart behind what we do when we celebrate communion together. It's not simply remembering, oh, I know who Jesus is. Remember the joy that we have in him and the hope that we have in him. 
Luke chapter 22, verses 14, 16. Say, when the hour had come, he reclined at the table and the apostles with him. And he said to them, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I say to you, I shall never again eat it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And when he had taken a cup and given thanks, he said, take this and share it among yourselves. For I say to you, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine from now on until the kingdom of God comes. And when he had taken some bread and given thanks, he broke it to them, broke, he gave it to them saying, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, he took the cup after they had eaten saying, this cup, which is poured out for you, is the new covenant in my blood. So we're going to take communion together. We have a couple ways that we can do it. We will be serving here at one station and over here at another. We will have wine and we will serve you. If you would like to uh, have juice or serve your family at the crosses, we have self-serve. And you just dip the bread or the cracker into the juice and serve it that way. But let's do this not as a, as a solemn thing as we approach Christmas, but let's do this with great joy. And as the worship team sings on, you can worship with them. Let's take communion and then we'll come back up and close in a minute. Thank you, church. was 
Before we dismiss, I want to just, I want to pray to close and then leave you with the final blessing. You know, as I was reading that scripture from Job, it's not one I traditionally associate with Christmas. But I think the blessing of a coming Savior, that we celebrate his birth in just a few days, I think this is the blessing that I want to leave you with. So Heavenly Father, we just thank you so much, Lord, that you, from the very beginning, you made a way to reconcile us, a broken, fallen world, to your Father. And so we get to celebrate, we get to celebrate your birth in the flesh in just a couple days, and it's through that through what you did, not through what we did, not through anything we could possibly do, but it is through that that we receive the blessing. And the very blessing that was given to Job, if we would just prepare our hearts. So let's prepare our hearts and lift our hands to him in prayer. And I want to bless you with this. Get rid of your sins and leave the iniquity behind you then your face will brighten with innocence. You will be strong and free of fear. You will forget your misery. It will be like water flowing away. Your life will be brighter than the noonday. Even darkness will be as bright as morning. Having hope 
will give you courage. You will be protected and will rest in safety. You will lie down unafraid and many will look to you for help. Church, I bless you in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Merry Christmas. Would you stand to your feet and worship with us?
Oh. Uh-huh. 